Hey, welcome to the Construction Generate podcast. I'm your host, Emily Lenning, and I'm here to talk about all things business for the home service industry. From interior design to plumbing, I know that finding strategy, marketing, and ideas specific to the home service industry isn't easy. So I'm giving you the best advice for building your online presence and bringing on some industry professionals to provide even more value along the way. If you're ready to build your home service business and ultimately build a recognizable home service brand, you're in the right hands. Thanks for listening. Let's get into it. Thank you for tuning into the Construct and Generate podcast. Today, I have Charles Alexiu joining me from Papa's Alexiu Design Studio based in Sydney, Australia. Charles has had several previous lives, having been born and bred in Darwin in the Northern Country, Crocodile Dundee Country. People in America are very familiar (laughs) with Crocodile Dundee. He trained originally in nuclear physics and applied mathematics. He has had a long and distinguished former career in investment banking and software design and marketing. However, his passion has always been design and real estate. From a young child, he spent many holidays on construction sites and his father's construction business, and that's where he got the taste of design and architecture. Now in projects, the numerous side, watches the budget with care, keeping costs to a minimum and reducing risks, adding value to the project and maximizing the client's return on investment while the creative side focuses on the detail of the finished product, serving clients and ensuring that the project is one that will be enjoyed for years. Delivery and quality control are just as important as design. Charles, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Emily. Greetings from down under. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking before we started recording that it's 1130 at night for you. So I appreciate you being on um, nice and late and bright and early for me in DC. So I'm excited to have you share some insight on the industry, specifically in Australia, and also just your background and how you got to where you are, because I think it's very interesting. You went from nuclear physics to construction. So to start off, can you just share a little more about your journey and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, um, I think when you're sort of 18, 19, you're meant to make these huge life decisions, you know, what you want to be when you grow up and what direction you want to turn. And, you know, you know, mustering all the wisdom an 18 or 19-year-old can, can muster, I think we're putting a lot of pressure on, on the young kids. And I think like most people, we sort of follow what we're good at, not what we're necessarily passionate about. So you get the marks and you're, you know, in your high school or college, I think you called there to get into um, university. And so you just follow where you're getting the good marks, not necessarily the, what you're passionate about. And so I, I was really good at maths and science, obviously. And I did a double major in nuclear physics and applied mathematics the Australian National University, I won a scholarship to go there. So as though that wasn't punishment enough, I then decided to go and do an honours degree in applied mathematics. But timing of my of my graduation from university was very instrumental in my journey because it was in the mid-80s, and I'm just giving away a bit of my age here. It was in the mid-80s, and it was during that whole period of greed is good, Wall Street, you know, the whole big head, large shoulder pads. Um, <laughs> Very dynasty. <laughs> so I land myself a job in banking. And so I was a uh, currency trader with a large Australian bank. And uh, I became the chief technical analyst because of my technical skills, which is what attracted them to engaging me. And then after that, I did that for about a good 15 years and very early mornings, very late nights, long days, as you can imagine, you know, Wall Street sort of hours. You get paid a shitload of money, um, but they own you. And literally, yeah, 
tell you what to do, when to stand, when to sit, when to go to sleep. And then after that, the new, the new wave of technology started rolling out. And so I was attracted to IT. Nothing like the IT we know today. And please don't ask me anything about social media because <laughs> I'm the wrong generation. I was in IT because I had that sort of brain, I guess. And I realized that I was attracted to high-paying jobs. Um, but the reason I was attracted to high-paying jobs is because it helped me fund what I was truly passionate about. And during that whole time, I would buy apartments, renovate them. This is all while I was working. I would leave the keys to the tradesmen and they'd do their bit. Um, renovate, buy apartments, renovate them, sell them at a profit, buy, do up, sell, flip. Big turning point for me was when my mother passed away and she was very young. She was 65. And it sort of hit me and I thought to myself, you know what? We don't have time to muck around here. Our life's too short. We don't have a second chance at it. It's no dress rehearsal. Yeah, if you don't follow what you love doing, then you know, there's no fun in it. So whatever, you ha- whatever you're doing, you have to enjoy it and have fun. And then the money will come. If you're good at it and you love it, the money will come. So that's what I decided. That's it. I'm going to go. And because I had it, because I spent, as you mentioned in your intro, my childhood during school holidays, I would spend on construction sites with my dad because he had a construction company. I sort of internalised it unknowingly, I guess, or subconsciously. It sort of uh, morphed into, so maybe just went to my blood or something, I don't know. Maybe I love the the smell of, you know, freshly laid concrete and wood shavings, I don't know. (laughs) Um, So that's how I got into what I'm doing now. That's amazing. I love that. And I actually grew up, I'm a fifth generation entrepreneur, but the other four before me were plumbers. So they worked with pipes and plumbing. And so I was like, okay, I grew up around it. So I think that's why I'm attracted to the the construction side of marketing. So I totally get that, that you can maybe be trained in something else and then kind of realize, okay, I'm knowledgeable in this and I'm attracted to the design because I, I grew up around it. <laughs> plumbers are so underestimated as well, because here we've got fitters and turners. So, you know, people think of plumbing, oh, they just change a tap or put the piping in, but they do so much more. You know, there's roofing and there's all the metalwork and exhaust pipes and ventilation and, yeah, yeah. For sure. That's super interesting. And so when you would flip the apartments, would you do everything yourself or did you have a team that would do that with you or is that kind of how you got into the industry? Well, first of all, because my father was in the construction industry, admittedly that was up in Darwin in the Northern Territory, he had sort of a really extensive network of friends and a lot of them were actually based in Sydney as well because they all sort of originated from Greece, um, this one particular Greek island in the Dodecanese, and uh, they're all very good with their hands. So I had like a, a core group of tradesmen that I could call on. But essentially, I would do all the design and I would tell them exactly what I needed and sources of materials and and things like that for them. So I'd point them in the right direction and I would say, this is exactly what I want. And so they would then have the roadmap to execute that for me. And uh, that was a steep learning curve for me as well because, you know, some guys read plans and some people don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's excellent. And so now with your company, do you guys focus more on new home builds or what is your focus now? Our focus at the moment is MCM Homes is a design and construct company of uh, mid-century modern homes. 
And mid-century modern is something I'm really passionate about from a design perspective. Those of us that are old enough remember that sort of design. We grew up in those sort of homes with fond memories and those after us were too young to remember, so to them it's all new. But what I loved about it was the nostalgic elements aside is that yeah, mid-century modernism sort of you know sprouted out sprouted after the Second World War when, for the first time, you know, the world was at peace, everything was very optimistic, you know, we held that uh, lovely outlook on life, and the, the architecture started to reflect that. So all of a sudden we were going from looking inwards to starting to look outwards. And that's what I loved about that design ethos was, you know, the outdoors were coming indoors and the indoors were going out. Yeah, just by the mere fact that the openings were bigger, the windows were floor-to-ceiling glass as opposed to these little pokey windows that the older houses had. Just little things like that is what attracted me to that design period and era uh, and style. And I often go to this little plug for Modernist Week in uh, Palm Springs uh, every year in February. Maybe some, I mean, that, that's sort of the mecca of mid-century. <laughs> But about four or five years ago in Australia, we had um, uh, a bit of an economic crisis. You know, it was um, things were really slow. The economy was not pumping as it should have. And in our industry, architects and designers are like the canaries down the coal mine. And the first thing to go is jobs from, you know, commissions and things like that. So that's what stops first and foremost. So we decided to sit down and say, okay, we're, we're an architectural firm. Where we're focusing on trying to win business that all the other architects are going for. We need to think outside the square. What skills, what knowledge, what resources, what contacts do we have to be able to do something else? So that's when we decide we're going to do this as a side thing. And Pepper Alexia would just purely focus on a handful of high-end bespoke clients a year, and our main focus would be MCM homes. And it's been really, really well received, and I'm really, really happy we've gone down that route because part of my philosophy is making good design accessible and affordable to everybody. People say, oh, you know, um, it's your you know, architectly designed homes are only for the wealthy. That's a myth. You know, it doesn't have to be expensive to be good design. And so my mission is to, you know, to sort of educate people and uh, because here in Sydney we, we have a housing shortage and further out and there's these estates and you just don't want to live there. <laughs> so but with a little bit of design, you can turn the house into a home and, and that makes all the difference, I think. Yeah, that's a great point because I'm not too familiar with the the housing situation, economic situation in Australia, but here in the U.S., if you've heard, but we are on the brink of a recession and we have a housing shortage that's just crazy. And, you know, there are not enough houses on the market for people. So actually, it's funny. Any architect that I talk to on the podcast is like, well, make your home how you want it because you can't really, if you can't buy, then make your small space worth it. It's <laughs> like, you know, put in the shower where you want it or change up your kitchen and layout as you see fit. And so with that, do you have any advice for maybe because you already you went through that a few years ago? where the market wasn't great or the economy wasn't great and you went through that process, do you have any recommendations on how to effectively like educate people? Maybe if you change kind of your business model or want to go in that direction that you did, like any advice on how you started it? 
Yeah, we, when you start, it's not strategic. Uh, a lot of it's like, and you don't even know creative mind. You, you think, oh, this is a really cool idea. Let's, 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 let's try and see, you know. And I think that's part of the, to me, the exciting thing about being creative is, you know, you try things, it doesn't work, it doesn't matter, you'll try something else, you know, until you get something that works, you know, whereas other professions is like, no, no, it's, it's this or this. Yeah, you, know, you do it this way or you don't do it at all. Medicine is a good example, you know, or, or accounting, you know. <laughs> but um, uh, in the creative field, it's like no one's going to die if you paint the wall the wrong colour, you know. Um, <laughs> it's not the end of the world. <laughs> but I guess um, my recommendation is for clients or for some of your listeners is the environment, the work space is changing very, very quickly. People are working more and more from home because of the connectivity with each other. And so you're going to find you know, many people are spending more and more time at home. And so it's really important that you get that balance right and create a, um, something that you want to be in. And that's really important because it just, as I said, life's too short and you really need to be enjoying the journey and so make it as comfortable as possible. That's great. And kind of with that, you know, I looking at your background and what you focus on now with, you know, you reduce risk and you're keeping costs to a minimum. Do you have any advice for people that in their projects to maximize their return or any kind of tips or tricks that you have on budgeting in, in the field? <laughs> the first thing I do is I always make sure that the client, uh, the finances are in order. And I know it's sort of outside of the scope, but it actually you know, say no man is an island, you know, everything's connected to everything. And so if someone says, look, I really want to build my dream home, et cetera, et cetera, and, you know, my first thing is, you know, what's your budget or what are you prepared to spend? It doesn't matter how much money someone has. It's not about that. It's about how much they're prepared to spend that matters, not how much they have. You know, they may have millions and millions and millions, but they're only prepared to spend this much. So you've got to work within that. And then a lot of people, this is often the case with, you know, first-time buyers. This is a very, very good example. They don't know what their budget is. So what I do is recommend them to one of our assisting brokers. Uh, they recommend them to, they go and see them, and they just do a very quick analysis, you know, quick interview, and they are then able to give me a number that says, look, these people, their borrowing capacity and serviceability of the loan is will allow them to borrow this much. So I work within that budget. And it's really, really important to do that because you don't want them to go crazy and say, you know, their wish list, I want this, 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 and this, and then the price comes in and it's like a million bucks and their budget's 500000 So we try to work within the budget and knowing what the budget is first is a really good starting point, as opposed to where a lot of architects started, what's your wish list? Then it's a slippery slope down because, yes, you'll get the design work out of them, but the project won't come to fruition. And that's what stands between good design and a happy outcome is the money because that's, that's what's going to make it happen. Yeah, that's great. Like if someone says, oh, I want to do this million dollar project and you make all the effort and they're like, oh, we only got approved for 500,000. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. And, and the other thing is also, there are other things that you can do. And, and that is, for example, you can design something and before you go to 
Uh, he, he would take it to council for approval, like a development application submission before you su- you submit it to council, because there's there's costs involved in doing that. There's council fees. There's all the reports that you have to provide with it. So the supporting documentation, which is thousands thousands of dollars. So so what I say is let's do the design, the design principle. Let's give it to a few builders to give us an estimate. So we know if we're in the right ballpark, you know, is it going to be 500,000 plus or minus 20 or is it going to be 5 million plus or minus 500,000? And that gives us a really good idea. So if it it falls within that range, then we know we're on the right track. And we can fine-tune that and bring the costs down or we've got something to play with. But at that point, then we finalise the drawings and the reports for submission. Because at that point, I know I'm giving this baby a good start in life. Yeah. Yeah, that's excellent. I love that. That's great. Well, uh, one thing as we wrap up here, um, unless you had anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners, but one thing I like to ask guests when they're on is what is a piece of advice that you would give yourself when you were just starting out with your business? Listen to people. And the reason I say that is because opinions are like assholes, Everyone's got one. If you ask someone of an opinion, they're going to give it to you. And that's all it is. It's an opinion. It's just a viewpoint. It's not based on any. And I find that getting, if you're asking someone for an opinion, you're really wanting validation for what you want to do. And no one can give that to you. You you should have that within you. And I find family and friends are the worst. First, say, oh, it's a really bad idea. And, yeah, then they start playing those seeds of doubt and things like that. And some of my most successful things have been things that if I knew what I now know now, I would never have done them, but they were hugely successful. And what I mean by that is my chances of being successful in what I chose to do would have been like 2 or 3%. But because I didn't know that, I was able to keep going and come up with a great outcome. But if I knew that to begin with, I would never have tried it. So the rule is you don't know what you don't know. And it depends. It's like you know, if you're going for a medical procedure, of course, you, know, you want to know what the odds are. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it depends on you know, how much money is at stake and all those sort of things. But, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on today. I've really enjoyed this discussion. And I think that a lot of people are going to get a lot of value from it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want even more support for your home service business, head on over to our Facebook group where you will meet other like-minded business owners and find additional strategies, ideas, and tips from experts in the industry. Visit constructandgenerate.com slash Facebook to join. I'll see you in there.